God takes sin seriously. And he takes your sin seriously. And he takes my sin seriously. And he takes the sin of Israel very seriously. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) I've got my party shirt on and everything and we're going to talk about sin. This morning we're going to continue our study in the Minor Prophets. Uh, Today we'll hear through hear God speak through the prophet Amos. If you have your Bibles, grab them and turn with me to Amos chapter 7. God's going to speak through Amos to the people of Israel. And I trust that this morning God's going to speak through Amos, that his spirit would speak to you and that his spirit would speak to me. God is going to speak through Amos about how seriously he takes sin. Uh, There are lots of sins that Amos is going to address in this letter, but we're going to talk about just two, the sin of injustice and the sin of self-righteousness. At its core, both of these really are choosing not to love God and are choosing not to love our neighbor. And while the word repentance is not found in the book of Amos, at least not in the NIV, like in the prophet Joel and all the other prophets, the call to repent is the clarion call of the book. I want to tell you a little bit about Amos before we hear God's message being spoken through him. The prophet's name Amos means burden bearer or load carrier. If you know Anything about this book, uh, his letter, you'll know that that makes total sense. Burden bearer or load carrier. If you don't know anything about Amos, maybe by the time that this message is over, you'll get it. You'll get why he's called burden bearer or load carrier. A.W. Tozer said, scholars can interpret the past, but it takes a prophet to interpret the present. Amos is that prophet. Amos is the prophet who enters the northern kingdom of Israel at a really, really crucial time. God sends Amos. Amos is not a professional prophet. Like this is not his day job. Amos doesn't get paid to be the prophet. He's actually a shepherd. He's a fig tree farmer. I want you to hear Amos, how how he describes himself. Amos chapter 7. This is verse 14 and 15. Amos 7, he says, uh, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. Uh, But the Lord took me from tending the flock and he said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Amos is just an ordinary guy. And being an ordinary guy, I mean, he's a farmer, he's a shepherd. But when God calls, he answers and God sends him to Israel and Amos goes. Amos is a contemporary of another prophet named Hosea. Some of you guys, anybody ever heard of the prophet Hosea? Yeah? Hosea and Amos, very different people, but they're from the same area. Through Hosea, God speaks a message that's more from the heart. He, Hosea is going to emphasize the love of God um, in the midst of judgment. Amos is not. Amos is in your face. Amos is one of those guys who's going to speak really hard and really loud about the majesty of God, about the justice of God, about the holiness of God, about the righteousness of God. Both prophets 
Amos and Hosea, they represent the same God, but there's just a different emphasis in their message. One more description of Amos. I heard my dad say once that Amos has the gift of divine sarcasm. I don't know if that's an actual gift. I, don't, that's, I think that's my dad being sarcastic. But anyway, Amos had the gift of divine sarcasm. Here's a really quick example from chapter 4. Hear the word, you cows of Bashan. On Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness that the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through the breaches of the wall. You'll be cast out toward Harmon, declares the Lord. That's got to be the most politically incorrect statement in all of scripture. He calls women cows. This guy is not messing around. Uh, some women, obviously in Israel, were. Amos is saying that these gals do whatever they want. They hang out any way they want. They spend their husband's money pursuing luxury, planning the next vacation. But this is way more than sarcasm. Why is Amos so strong? Because God takes sin so seriously. And I don't know if you caught this, but what's the sin that Amos calls out here? He says, you oppress the poor and you crush the needy. It is the sin of injustice. Keep your finger there in Amos 4 and just slide back a couple chapters to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He's going to continue to call out this sin of injustice. This is what the Lord says for three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. Selling the innocent for silver Selling the needy for a pair of sandals, trampling on the heads of the poor. The father and son used the same girl. They deny justice to the oppressed. Justice requires initiative. It recognizes injustice and justice moves toward it. Justice is not only about putting down the oppressor, but it is about lifting up the oppressed. And instead of advocating for the poor, instead of enacting justice the people of Israel just become apathetic to what's happening to the poor they become apathetic toward the suffering they see the suffering they know the suffering and they just kind of like I mean yeah yeah I know and they just allow it to happen the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat and it occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament and Almost always when we find this word, it's connected to one of four classes of people. Widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. Tim Keller refers to this group of four as the quartet of the vulnerable. I want you to hear just 
A couple examples from scripture. God speaks through the prophet Zechariah this way. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Mishpat. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Zechariah 7, 10 through 11. Why should we be concerned about the vulnerable ones? Why should you and I be concerned about the vulnerable ones? Because God is concerned about the vulnerable ones. Zechariah is a beautiful example, but here's from the Psalm. He executes justice, mishpat, for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Psalm 146, 7, 8, and 9. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. The Lord, your God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. And then one day Jesus shows up and Jesus says these words. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire for the devil and his angels that is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, Jesus takes the sin of injustice seriously. If you have your Bibles, slide over to Amos chapter four, back to Amos chapter four, verses four and five. The text is gonna reference two cities. I want you to just have some background of these cities just really quick, two two places. He's gonna call out Bethel and Gilgal. They're very significant. Uh, And so it would help if you understand the significance and kind of get the weight of his message. Bethel shows up way back in Genesis. Abraham is there. Uh, He builds an altar there, calls on the name of the Lord there. And then later his grandson, Jacob, has this incredible vision at Bethel. It's ladder that goes up to heaven and he sees angels angels ascending and descending. All this happens in Bethel. And it becomes, Bethel becomes sort of this sacred place in Israel, sacred space in Israel. And then there's Gilgal. Gilgal is another really important place. You might remember uh, when the Israelites are leaving uh, Egypt, they just Joshua chapter five, uh, they cross over the Jordan River uh, into the wilderness and uh, they move into Jericho. This new generation, young generation, they go through the ritual of covenant of circumcision at Gilgal, really important place. So Bethel, a renewal of the Abrahamic covenant, Gilgal, a renewal of the Mosaic covenant, real sacred, real sacred to the people of Israel. But in the days of Amos, they'd become profane. Uh, Their temples were just filled with idols and false gods. And so now Amos is going to speak against those cities. Go to Bethel. Go to Bethel and sin, he says. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. 
Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithe every three years, burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. Come, and, come to Bethel and sin. Come to Gilgal and sin even more. The text literally reads, come and rebel, come and increase your rebellion. Could you imagine, uh, could you imagine uh, someone inviting you to church this way? Come sin with us at sanctuary this Sunday. Or can, can you imagine, uh, Sonny? Sonny says, let's stand, let's all sin together. That's what's going on here. Amos is going after the hearts of all of those who have become self-righteous and he goes to the deepest place of who they are the thing, the place, the person that they worship. He's saying your worship has become a ritual. It's become a religion. You're singing, your sacrifices, your tithing, a complete farce, a total waste of time. He's saying his friends and his family are coming to church, but it's only to make themselves feel better about themselves. It has nothing to do with the worship of the God of the universe. Now, Amos isn't done. He's gonna keep going He's going to really, really push this idea of the sin of self-righteousness. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27. I'm going to read this passage from the message paraphrase. Amos 5, verses 21 through 27. This is God speaking through Amos. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Didn't you, dear family of Israel, worship me faithfully for 40 years in the wilderness, bringing the sacrifices and offerings that I commanded? How is it that you've stooped to dragging gimcrack statues of your so-called rulers around, hauling the cheap images of all your star gods here and there? Since you like them so much, you could take them with you when I drag you into exile beyond Damascus. God's message. God of the angel armies. God takes the sin of self-righteousness very seriously. Jesus takes the sin of self-righteousness very seriously. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. It goes on to say, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their Phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. 
They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus takes the sin of self-righteousness pretty seriously. Amos chapter 7. I want you to see another facet of Amos, the burden bearer. Amos 7 verses 1 through 6 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts. After the king's share had been harvested and just as the lake crops were coming up, but when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. All right, this will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. And it dried up the great deep and devoured the land. And then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. What's going on here? Amos, the ordinary guy, ordinary, not a prophet by trade. Amos, the burden bearer, is interceding for Israel. Amos is standing in God's presence on behalf of God's people. And as direct as he preaches, he prays. Sovereign Lord, forgive, he says, exclamation point. Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. Can you hear the desperation in his heart? I beg you, stop. Stop, God, no. And what does God do? God relents. Okay, okay. In his sovereignty, he relents. I don't know. I, I, don't, I was trying to think, like, when was the last time I asked God to stop? When was the last time I begged God to stop something? And I, and I just honestly couldn't come up with anything. Maybe, you, maybe you've... But I in, instantly remembered this time where I asked God to do something. And I didn't just ask God to do something. I said, you have got to do something now. I don't know what the prayers of your heart sound like, but the prayers of Amos's heart are desperate. I beg you, God, forgive. I don't know what you're praying, or, but I want you to be encouraged from Amos's example that God does hear and God does move. And in Amos's case, God relents. He says, okay, okay, okay. God is sovereign. He knows the whole story. And in this particular time and place, God says, okay, I won't do it. 
I won't do it. I don't know what you're praying for or how you're praying or if you've maybe even just given up on prayer because it hasn't worked for you. Could I just encourage you just to be honest? I don't know, this prayer probably takes 10 seconds. You don't have to go on and on. You don't have to come up with crazy words. It's the most true and honest part of who Amos is. And he just says, forgive. And he just says, I beg you. And God says, okay. Okay. God takes sin seriously. The sin of injustice and the sin of self-righteousness. Jesus takes sin seriously. Last week when I introduced this sermon series, I said that while all of the minor prophets talk a little bit about judgment, they also, or they talk a lot about judgment, they also paint a picture of a God whose scandalous love never stops pursuing the very people who broke his heart. That's really the message of the minor prophets. And God pursues us because God takes sin seriously. Because we didn't take sin seriously, because I don't take sin seriously, Jesus chooses to take sin seriously and he steps in. Because we didn't take sin seriously, Jesus chooses to become our sin. He chooses to become your sin and mine. Because Jesus takes sin seriously, he chooses to pay a debt that you and I maybe possibly never even had considered paying. He gave his very self. And in the greatest act of justice that has ever been and will ever be, Jesus acted. Jesus, our one true burden bearer. Jesus, our load carrier was concerned about the vulnerable ones, you and me. And he acted on our behalf. A prophet of the near the same time, Isaiah, he wrote some words about how seriously Jesus would take sin. He's prophesying about the coming of the Messiah Isaiah 53 is sometimes called the song of the suffering servant. And I want to read the whole thing. I want you to hear how God prophesied through Isaiah that the Messiah, Jesus, how seriously he would take sin and what it would cost. Who has believed in our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. The man is suffering and he was familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers was silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. And therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great and he'll divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus has taken our sin seriously. He has reconciled, redeemed, and he has resurrected all those who believe and receive his free gift of grace. And he did it all in love. For love covers a multitude of sins. So just one question. How will you respond to such a gift? How will you respond to such a gift? Confession or maybe forgiveness or renewed trust or Blessing. How will you respond to such a gift? I'll close this message with the closing words of Amos um, from his message. Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. Paints a picture of the day when things change. Verse 13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading the grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. And I'll bring my people back. I'll bring my people Israel back from exile. And they will rebuild the ruined cities and they'll live in them and they'll plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruits. I'll plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord, your God. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for taking sin so seriously that you gave Jesus. 
Jesus, thank you for taking so, sin so seriously that you gave your very self. Spirit, would you speak to our hearts about the seriousness of our own sin? God, thank you for making a way for the vulnerable ones. Uh, vulnerable ones like us. Vulnerable ones like me, thank you for making a way. Would you help us in this day to reflect your goodness and grace to the vulnerable ones around us, uh, the vulnerable ones sitting next to us, the vulnerable one living next to us, uh, the vulnerable ones in our neighborhood or in our nation and the nations. Would you help us to reflect your goodness and grace, would you help us to take sin seriously? Would you help us to be ambassadors that in this neighborhood, in this church, we would live on earth as in heaven? And so in these moments, God, I just pray that your spirit would just speak to us and that we would respond to such a gift, the gift of abundant life and eternal life. In your name, Jesus, I pray.